So welcome to this refreshed episode, if you like. So we're going back into our archive to talk to some of the amazing past guests we've had. We've had over 200 guests, over 200 podcasts. And we thought, you know what, it's time to go back to some of these amazing treasury professionals. We kicked off the, the podcast journey way back when, three, four years ago, and we had 200 episodes. And we thought, you know what, it's time to catch up with some of the past people. So we are talking to Paul Mizzelli from Medtronic today. Great guy. We'll go into the episode and then hang on at the end because he'll give us some of his advice but we'll do an update about where he's been. Spoke last spoke to him in 2019, and now it's a couple of years later. What's happened in between? Well, listen to the episode, and you'll find out. In this week's show, I made sure to get the pronunciation right. I'm joined by Paul Mizzelli, the Treasury Director for EMEA at Medtronic. Now, for those of you who don't know, Medtronic are a global healthcare solutions company. They're founded in 1949, been going so over 60 years. Their mission is to alleviate pain, restore health, extend life for people around the world. We'll get Paul to explain that because he's been there for a number of years and we'll you know, dig into that as well. Uh, but as I say, they're sort of over 160 countries basically across the world. And you know, we can talk about some of the challenges maybe healthcare in the industry is facing. But really what I wanted to dig into today was Paul and his treasury career. Obviously, a lot of the people listening are treasury analysts, managers. Now, Paul's actually been with Medtronic for 17 years, but he originally started in banking straight out of university. So maybe give us that and take us back to the dim distant past, but then walk us through your Medtronic career because, you know, you've just been at one company for a number of years, but it's, and I've seen on your resume and background, Paul, and people see on LinkedIn, You've made some progression and moved through it. So take us back to your early start in Treasury, if you would. Thank you, Mike, for the opportunity. So, yeah, after uh, completing my studies, so I, did, I have a BA in commercial economics and a master in general economics. I first started my career at uh, Rabobank, indeed, mm-hmm. regional bank, as a private banker advising so private clients uh, about their investment portfolio. Mm-hmm. mainly stocks and options. I left that organization shortly after 9-11. I only had bad news conversations, and I joined uh, Metronic in 2002 as a treasury analyst. Right. To be that honest, having no clue what treasury actually entailed <laughs> back then. So I just started fresh. I think what definitely helped, albeit it was short, the experience in uh, banking and working in a commercial environment Mm-hmm. When it comes down to basically maintaining the relationship with the bankers, right? We we somewhat talk the same language. I, however, learned quickly that treasury in a corporate environment is a completely different ball game uh, than working for a bank in a more commercial environment. Mm. I mean, back then, Metronic uh, just completed an RFP selecting one banking partner. They were op- already pretty sophisticated having a host-to-host connection with that bank, industry standard, and they were in the midst of rationalizing their banking infrastructure in the EMEA region, which we, I have to say, since then continue doing because Medtronic is a highly acquisitive uh, company. So we continuously inherit all sorts of bank infrastructures from the companies that we recently acquired. Progressed indeed from a career perspective, started leading a small team, 
building that from scratch when we started deploying SAP as our mm-hmm. ERP system. So I worked actually on some bank reconciliation activities, so more accounting-related activities. And back then, indeed, EMEA relatively, well, for short, less complex than we are organized today. So at a certain moment in time, I started diversifying, started leading bigger teams in a shared service center activity. So continued having oversight on treasury, but I started adding activities like intercompany, fixed assets. I've even led an external audit at a certain moment in time, which was definitely out of my comfort zone. Added cash application, credit management, so more shared service center related activities. Again, some of the listeners here, you know, when did you first get your first leadership role? So you started, and when we say way back then, we're talking, you started there in 2002. And yep. you, sort of, you were a treasury analyst till 06. Did you then make the first sort of step to start to mentor people? How did you get into that? Because again, when I've guys early on in their careers, you're sort of four or five years. Mm-hmm. We recently inter- interviewed Marcus Keady. He, you know, was 26 and he was group treasurer leading a team. It was like, whoa, you know, relatively yeah. young. And, and he talked about some of the things. Again, for the listeners, how did you do that? And yeah. how did you make that transition? It was a bit of a natural kind of move. I did express, but that's what a lot of people do, right? Express, I want to be a people leader, but it's not that obvious. I can definitely say it is not obvious leading people. I started, yeah, in 2006, I got the opportunity to start mentoring, coaching an analyst, as well as two new team members uh, setting up a bank reconciliation process from scratch. So I got the mandate to basically start leading and composing a, a team. But yeah, the the scope was a mayor. So for me, that was definitely quite a challenge to, from within the team, to start leading the team that I, I used to uh, work with. So mm-hmm. that, that was another element that was... Uh, making it a bit uh, difficult, I have to say. But yeah, in 2006, I started leading a team mm. and then I went on to to bigger teams up to, I don't know, at a certain moment time, 20, 30 people, wow. with also, which also had its challenges. The team is now smaller. Mm. But yeah, uh, I mean, the work con- continues to be the same um, mm. from a people uh, management perspective. How do you manage 30 people? I mean, we'll talk about 12 people, but, you know, (laughs) surely, you know, how do you do your day job? And at the same time, 30 people are sending you emails and or calling you, boss, what do we do? How, you know, you're you're our leader. What do we do? I learned pretty fast to work on setting up an organization, Mike, and by experience, right? So if you indeed have 10, 20 people continuously at your desk, and it depends on how mature that team and those team members are as well. I learned fast that it needs some organization. So I, I, I quickly tried to negotiate and work with my hiring manager to put uh, and to, to basically elevate and empower people within the organization to, to become, for example, a supervisor. Mm. Where it made sense, right? Because it doesn't mean that if you're our really well content-wise and you're a specialist that you, per definition, are also able to supervise or to lead people. So I learned pretty fast to put in a a layer of supervisors Mm -hmm. in order to help me out to work on other elements like being more tactical and more strategic than just working on operations and uh, and develop people. Mm -hmm. So I I really love having a right balance between 
definitely further developing uh, people and taking them to the next level. But I definitely also want to work on the strategic technical part and work on projects. And when you're talking about those people, I noticed, you know, mm-hmm. the, again, the listeners would be able to look on your LinkedIn profile and see that you've done a number of sort of training courses and you've been coached yourself and things like that. Looking back at that training you've received, you know, there was development planning for yourself, there was selection training about how to recruit people, identify people. What what would sort of stands out to you from that? What did you mm-hmm. take from that? You know, you also did talent acquisition, yeah. which is our job. So you need to keep calling us, which is fine. Uh, but, you know, yeah. how, how did you find good talent or what was the sort of, how did you keep that going? I think what I set up with Dematronic, which I'm a strong believer in, is that from a development perspective, there's a 70-20-10 rule, meaning 70 is, 70% of your time should be dedicated to on-the-job training. I learned most of it by just doing it. And sometimes you fail and sometimes you succeed. And then 20% is coaching and mentoring from the hiring manager. And that's what I apply to my people as well. And then 10% is more formal training. And that can be hard skills or soft skills. That can be internal courses, external courses, e-learning, anything. And the latter, I think it depends on the person as well. In what kind of stage of their career are they? Are they even interested, right? It's not that you should, it should be mandatory per definition because I, I think some people don't want to do a formal training. They, they prefer to, to have 80% on the job training and 20% coaching and mentoring. So mm. what I learned is that it, yeah, it, it depends on the person. If I look at it at me personally, yeah, I learn most to be honest, uh, by on-the-job training and listening to peers, but also hiring managers. And I had hiring managers six, seven, eight now already in the past 17 years and all had different characteristics. Mm. Uh, and I just tried to absorb as much as possible from, from their strengths. Okay. And we're talking a lot about people, yeah. but let's focus a little bit more mm-hmm. on just some of the treasury aspects, if you like, because as we said, yeah. and maybe, you know, more recently, you, you, you know, we, you did the integration with Covidian and you've done some various other bits, but talk through the treasury piece, if you like. One of the questions, you know, and I, I did pitch this to Paul before because I want to be a bit cheeky with him. You know, yeah. you've been Medtronic since 2002, 17 years in the same company. Yeah. Surely that limits your treasury views and you're exposed to different ideas and ways of doing treasury, you've just worked at one company. Mm-hmm. Surely that, you know, yep. one way, it's a Medtronic way, thanks very much. You'll explain that to, again, the, the listeners. I mean, that's the initial perception that you may have and others may have. Obviously, as I mentioned, we are a highly acquisitive company, so we inherit infrastructures from other companies and we've definitely learned from that it's not that we uh, immediately apply the infrastructure or the policies that we have as a company we try to take the best out of other infrastructures as well and we try to keep abreast of all of the uh, developments out there as well so i and my team members have been participating in uh, treasury roundtables, uh, you've got obviously the Dutch Association of Corporate Treasurers. There's a regional roundtable in the southern part of the Netherlands that is being held every quarter. We attend the Eurofinance. We attend actually the, 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 the Neu Group roundtable twice a year as well. Mm-hmm. So we are trying to keep up to speed with what, what our peers at other companies are doing. 
and as well as we collaborate a lot with our internal SAP and IT colleagues to understand what kind of innovative solutions are out there. And last but not least, we try to partner as, as much as we can with our main banking partners mm. as well to just try to understand like what is out there, what are other companies doing that we are not doing. And what I forgot to mention, Mike, is that obviously in the 17 years that I've been working with the company, I've had a lot of team members as well coming from mm. other companies, mm. be it competitors sometimes even, be it from the banking industry, but also from having a corporate treasury background with, with other companies. Mm. Yeah, and, and, and they come come with a completely different mindset as well. And they pose the exact right questions. What is important, obviously, for me and, and, and some others that have been with the company for a longer period is to stay open-minded, Mike. Mm. Uh, it's not like, okay, this is what we've been doing for many, many years, this is the right thing. We, we look and have to look and see the mirror as well. I need to stay as open-minded as possible there as well. And in terms of then, you know, over that time, what would you say sort of the standout moments, the career highlights, if you like, that, well, we implemented mm-hmm. this and we got a big award for it or, you know, we took these, yep. this team from here to there or, you know, what are the things that, you know, jump out of you that you sit back and go, that was pretty good, that was. You know, what, what would you say? It was definitely shortly after the Covidian acquisition in 2015. Matronic is a company that offers a lot of uh, responsibilities to a lot of people in the organization. And I was being asked to actually lead three integration efforts at the same time, which was definitely... Relaxing, uh, Relaxing. feet up. Yeah, no, exactly. No, no yeah. yeah. So what stands out there is that I recommended and led an, an integration effort to move... Uh, cash application activities from one location to the other. Mm-hmm. What was successful is that we implemented shortly before that an automation tool in order mm-hmm. to to make that happen. I was being asked completely out of my comfort zone to centralize credit and collection function in the region. So mm-hmm. we managed in a relatively short period to move 50, 60 hats to a central location. And last but least, part of the integration effort we were doing a, we called it a legal entity integration project by basically merging the various sales organizations we had, so Covidian and Electronic, into mm. one, mm. which meant, and I led it from a treasury perspective, mm. uh, not overall. But yeah, that, that was definitely something that immediately came to my mind when, when you asked. Yeah. yeah. You know, we, we actually probably skip past them. Again, for some of the listeners, they won't know Medtronic, if you like. So with Medtronic, mm-hmm. perhaps, again, explain, if you would, what Medtronic, yeah. who they are, what they do, but also how that then impacts on Treasury. You know, how do you then provide your Treasury services as a Treasury team to the group? You know, because, you know, if you're doing it for a FMCG company and, you know, a drinks company. Mm-hmm. There are lots of different treasury pressures to a healthcare companies. So yep. maybe you can explain that a bit. Healthcare indeed, Medtronic, annually 30 billion of revenue, having a market cap of 150 billion by now. Global provider of uh, medical technology and therapies. Indeed, mission is to alleviate pain, restore health and extend life. Mm-hmm. Initially, I have to say that was not something that I was immediately being triggered by, but if you learn, if you work for this company for a certain period, this definitely gets into your DNA. This is why you are working for this company. And perhaps it sounds corny, but Mm. it's definitely something that Medtronic spends a lot of time on as well. If you look at 
how we contribute to this. It's a, it's a specific market. That, so we've got sales organizations all over the place, meaning they, they need the basics, right? Bank accounts, credit facilities, and so on. Hmm. We are in a business where we uh, deal with a lot of public hospitals, meaning that we need to participate in uh, tenders. So we work together with our businesses directly, business finance, to make sure that they have all the facilities in place to participate in those standards. And then you can think of, we need to issue zillions of bid and performance bonds in order to even participate in a tender like that. Mm. The foundation is basically laid by us as a treasury organization for all the sales organizations, but also the manufacturing plants and R&D facilities that we have in the EMEA region to basically not worry about anything when it comes down to banking. So they don't need to worry whether there's sufficient cash to pay their bills, payroll, and so on. They don't need to worry uh, how to collect cash. That is the primary responsibility for us as a function. Mm -hmm. If you know that we are in more than 25 countries, we've got over 150 entities, that is definitely something that requires an infrastructure. And we've been working hard with the, with the regions to make sure that that is uh, up and running. And the integration with, you know, the global treasury, because the global treasury is based in the US and you're in EMEA, yeah. you know, how does your sort of global function work, the global sort of passing it around the world, as it were, or what's the sort of ethos there? So I'll report into the treasurer in the US indeed. Mm. In the US, we've got centralized functions like capital markets, uh, who takes care of the issuance of the external debt, uh, commercial paper, knowing though that that is being run through entities here in Europe. So we are responsible for Metronic PLC, the mother company, which resides in Ireland. Mm. And we've got quite some presence in Switzerland and Luxembourg as well. And all of these transactions basically flow through these entities. So our Collaboration is key with capital markets, but also with the corporate AVIX team who takes care of globally on hedging our AVIX exposures. Mm. Again, the majority of the ex- exposures are in EMEA. So again, also there, a lot of collaboration is needed uh, with the AVIX team. Also knowing that we as a function here in EMEA are running a global multilateral netting process. Also there, we take care of a lot of data as well as have exposures, and we need to collaborate with the team in the U.S., as well as the cash and liquidity management team in the U.S. There's a whole bunch of activities. I'm not sure we are not following the sun, Mike, mm-hmm. from a cash and liquidity management, but there is definitely an, a handover occurring at a certain moment in time. So, yeah, we, we are on calls with them constantly. There are regularly meetings to just make sure that we are as aligned as possible, mm-hmm. regardless of the time zone differences, obviously. And you mentioned um, earlier in the show that you integrated from your very early days, you integrated very directly with your banking partners, and that was obviously a key driver. Now, you know, we talk in previous shows about treasury technology being a big driver, but we've talked there a bit more about the people that actually push the buttons, which is just as important. But where have you seen treasury develop over the time you've been in it so far and then going to next? You know, what have you seen as the key developments and see as the developments going forward sort of thing? When I started in 2002, definitely somewhat a sophisticated setup with a host-to-host connection. But, I mean, I was sending wires through... 
a, a modem, right? And using a <laughs> floppy disk to encrypt it and sending fax instructions for export deals kind of things, right? <laughs> I've seen, and, and we've been implementing quite some technology here and there to further automate that and streamline these mm. activities. And I think we will continue doing that. We are in the midst of uh, rolling out globally a TMS, a treasury management system. What I foresee, and that, that's something that my opinion is that we would like to get rid of all those recurring activities as soon as possible mm. by implementing the TMS and other functionality, which means also potentially a change in the mindset of team members, right? I would foresee us being much more involved in analytics and insights, providing that not just to other team members within the organization, but also to other functions like uh, shared services. When it comes down to having more fact-based analytics and insights on working capital initiatives like in AP and AR than we are doing today. I think we have access to so much data, but we haven't been using it to the fullest. I think there's still a lot of value add that we can show towards the organization by further automating, recurring, and operational activities. And how do you measure that success then from there? So, you know, what are you, you know, what standard are you holding yourselves up to? Is it that, right, we want... You know, we straight through process. Ours took us three days. It's now, you know, a few hours. But then you want it a few minutes, a few seconds, or is it? Where does the value yeah. add come from? What what, what sort of mm. benchmark are you using to measure yourselves? I think when it comes down to KPIs as a laser, so that's something that we've definitely been uh, focusing on in the past years. I think we're pretty up to speed when it comes down to straight through processing on payments and how to deal with collections. I think that foundation has been laid. I think there's still some room for improvement, but we're, we're, we're close to, I don't know, 99% in most of the cases. Mm. I think where we, and that is all about automation and make it more efficient, right? Where I think we can add value as a function is to start using that data and to really, it's a bit of a buzzword, to biz, really business partner with other functions like business finance, but also shared services to even further improve working capital, for example. Are there ways to increase our returns to vendors? Are there ways to uh, more easily and hopefully earlier collect cash from uh, our, our customers? Can we contribute by talking about I don't know, other areas like supply chain financing, uh, leasing. I mean, we, we recently acquired a business that is highly capital intense. Is there a way where we can contribute for you to do to, to improve your ways of doing business with, with our customers? And just, and I don't want this to be an unfair question to you because you might not know, but when I first started in treasury recruitment 20 plus years ago, I felt that, and you know, I only learned it in more recent years, that I think treasury was its own worst enemy. It became this specialist area. Mm-hmm. And I saw a lot of treasurers at the yep. beginning, I think, sort of get, trying to get their pay rises because, hey, we're specialist treasury, we're over in a corner and we do this. But in yeah. the time that I've seen it, you know, treasury got closer and closer to the business to say, oh, guys, actually we can help you rather than, you know, be that black box treasury guys or the black box tax guys in the corner, you know, want to be more integrated. You know, with that yeah. integration and things, you know, you sound like you guys have done it well, but 
what would your comments or thoughts be on that? Would you say that when you first started, Treasure was this specialist secret area, smoke and mirrors sort of thing? Or what's what, what have you seen in that, that perspective? I can definitely relate to that. Although mm. as a region, we've always been part of a financial shared service center, Mike. And that right. definitely helped. So there was already from the beginning a close collaboration with functions like uh, the accounts payable department, but also the credit and collections department. Mm-hmm. So it was not that we were on an island. I, I think back in the days, we actually collaborated much more with shared services than like, with uh, departments like tax and legal. Right. I think it's now the other way around. There are much, there's much more interaction and collaboration with tax and legal to some extent, finance, lesser extent, accounts payable. So the shared services, because most of the work has already been done, I would say. Mm, mm. At the same time, though, we as a company are also penetrating into new markets. It's not the Germany, but it's it's like Egypt. Think of Egypt and Pakistan. And that definitely brings along new challenges, which makes us collaborate, again, much more with shared services than before. But I see where you're coming from. It's considered, same as a tax department, considered a bit as a niche, right? A specialized function. Mm. We, I think, as a result of that, we do have a seat at the table for most of the initiatives, but I also see the constant need for me and others to explain why we are adding mm-hmm. value to the organization. Yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah, that continues to be in a, a topic. So as we you know, come towards the end of today's show, we're hitting about half an hour, 40 minutes, someone's daily commute, as it were. Someone will look at your, we'll put your, a link to your LinkedIn profile in the show notes so people can, you know, potentially connect to you. They'll only connect to you if it's useful for him. You know, don't, you know, don't get annoyed. But joking aside, if someone looks at your profile and says, do you know what? I'd like that career, you know, start mm-hmm. banking, but then develop my treasury path to, you know, similar role to Paul. What, what sort of elements of advice or what would be the advice you give to them? We talked earlier, you've got people management, you're in a successful company. We've got the, 70% on the job training but you know what are the things that you would pick out maybe on a more personal level to tell mm-hmm. people is it you know go get some training is it to integrate with you know the local ACT or you know what are the key things mm-hmm. that stand out for you would you say as we you know come towards today's the end of today's show if you have a, a general interest in, in treasury I mean mm-hmm. you should reach out to people like me and others or within your organization to get a better understanding of what that exactly entails Right. If you want to be successful in treasury, but I think in general can be in finance or any, any other function, I think what I experience at least is that you shouldn't be afraid to, how do you say that, to take advantage of an opportunity by an offer, right? Mm. At the same time, though, it needs to feel right. I'm a bit of a, <laughs> I'm, I'm sensitive to that. I mean, I've, for example, that certain departments where activities were explored that were not close to my heart, Mike, but the mm. team was. Mm. And I also experienced it the other way around. So it could even be within the treasury function that there are some elements which, I don't know, it's not having an immediate interest, but it could be that there are other challenges that makes it really appealing for you to step in to, to overcome those challenges. It can be from a people management perspective, but it can also be that there are opportunities to further automate and work with vendors and bankers on really innovative solutions. Mm. If you look at, at treasury, 
if you are interested in like working with banks, working with SAP IT on really sophisticated and innovative solutions, I think then you should pursue a career within Treasury. I mean, as I just said, having a seat at the table for many, many projects, that is definitely an element that energizes me. Mm. But but yeah, again, I, I mentioned, I continue mentioning team, but that is definitely something that is close to my heart and makes me come to the office every day. Mm. And this integration, I, again, when I do each the end piece of every show, I sort of write down some, some people have, you know, do this, do this, study this or whatever. But again, what I'm getting for you is like integrating with those partners, working with them, and that will make you successful and obviously makes your job more interesting, which is great. Yeah, absolutely. Paul, amazing. Thank you for your time today. Really appreciated it. For listeners, again, we'll put it in the LinkedIn show, the well, the LinkedIn connection, rather. You can connect to Paul, as I say, if it's going to be useful. Paul, all reminds me to say thank you very much. Continue with your very successful career. Obviously, as a recruitment firm ourselves, sometimes frustrating when a client has a really successful 17-year career and won't keep moving around. You want him to move because, you know, we need him to move sometimes. But, you know, we'll keep talking yeah. one day, maybe one day, you know, uh, we'll, we'll, we'll get you. <laughs> Thanks for your time. I will tell, Mike. Thanks, Thanks for your time. Thanks very much. So I hope you guys all enjoyed that latest episode. I mean, I say latest, that was way back when, 2019, I think we originally recorded it. Um, a couple of things have happened in the world since then. <sighs> Who would have believed it? So I'm welcome back to the show, Paul Mizade. That's my French enunciation. I'm getting there slowly. But Paul uh, gladly joins me again, once again. I'm very grateful for his time. But we're just going to bring life up to date. Since we last spoke, Paul has recently has had a promotion to senior treasury director. We've got through a global pandemic. Yeah, a couple of things. So, Paul, uh, just bring us up to date, if you would, handing back the microphone to you, sir, and great to catch up. But, yeah, tell us what it's been like and since we last spoke. Over to you, sir. Yeah, thanks, Mike. Yeah, since the last we spoke, obviously, uh, uh, pandemic, uh, shortly after, uh, we went from uh, working full-time in the office to working full-time and basically had to figure out how to best manage uh, that, knowing that part of the team was... Um, not that long with the organization. Uh, we were running a global initiative to globally deploy a new TMS system. And we were also globally deploying a technology that automates cash accounting transactions. So from being in the office, having face-to-face time, working on these initiatives, we basically went completely virtual. And if you would have asked me before COVID, like, would we be able to, to deal with that and, uh, and pull that off, I would, I would I would say no way. But yeah, we did. That's proven that um, working from home and working together in a virtual way uh, using a technology like a Zoom call works. We were able to go back to the office one day a week um, last year, but after six weeks already, uh, the Matronic uh, organization decided uh, it would be best to work from home again as uh, the number of COVID cases uh, in the Netherlands uh, went up again. So till like recently, we again worked full-time at home. Since the beginning of March, we are now again allowed to go back uh, one day in the week, which was very welcomed uh, by the team uh, just to see each other again and uh, to socialize. Paul, you started, as you say, come back, and you and I spoke about this before, that... The world of work has changed. 
I've coined that phrase about this new normal, but it's not, it's a next normal because everyone before was saying, oh, we'll do some work, flexible working and you might have a Friday, every other Friday, maybe working from home. Then suddenly it's gone, as you say, full time. And now we're sort of coming into this next evolution or as people start to step back, what's going to be, do you think, and again, we, we did speak about this, but what's next? When we talked the other day, the, a lot of people get so much more done, but there's a lack of collaboration. But when you are collaborating, it's, it's that balance, isn't it? Yeah. So, yeah, we've been working about like the future of work, how that will look like, uh, and the way the treasury team uh, looks at that, as well as the organization, is that we will likely be working at the office two, three days a week. And then the rest from home, traveling, if, if we can again. And we are having conversations um, about like how that will look like. Um, within the treasury organization, we, we really feel like having this experience in the past two years that doing operational work, so your day-to-day job, can actually be done best from home as you're having less distraction. At least in, in the beginning, it was a bit like, okay, a lot of distraction, but, but a lot of people managed to deal with that and, and really find the balance. And it turned to be that we, we were better capable doing that day-to-day job uh, from home. And if we will go back into the office, those two, three days a week, we'll be primarily about Discussion, discussing innovation, um, kicking off new projects. Obviously, also socialize with the team and other stakeholders uh, within the organization. But we do think, as a treasury organization overall, that the right balance will be two, three days working from home. Also, you know, now you are returning. You're returning in a slightly in an enhanced role, if you like. If that's the right way to put it. So, Paul, you've you know. Events have happened and you've taken on a more senior position with a wider geographic remit. What's that been like for you, you know, talking to different people? We again we, we had a great pre-briefing call on this the other day, and you're describing to me how you evolved and, and grown as a person, but also dealing with those different people in different cultures, different geographies. Mm-hmm. With that comes greater responsibility. What's that been like for you? Yeah. Oh, that's a pretty recent uh, change, Mike. Um, so indeed, uh, to your point, expanded my scope uh, say two weeks ago. <laughs> so next to overseeing the EMEA organization and some global processes, the team is now overseeing treasury operations globally, except for the US. So next to EMEA, it's Latin America, Canada, uh, APEC and Greater China that have been added to the portfolio. And we are also overseeing globally the internal funding of all of the Medtronic subsidiaries. So as I said, just two weeks in a row and certainly has been two interesting weeks, uh, to say the least. Approach so far has been to uh, get acquainted with the, with the team members. Most of them are already uh, new because uh, we have been collaborating uh, uh, with uh, those team members in the respective um, regions before. And it has been primarily listening to understand first. So about the dynamics and the initiatives in the regions, the composition of the teams, um, but also understanding who our primary stakeholders are. So on the latter, in the next week, in the next weeks, uh, my plan is to reach out to um, some of these stakeholders to understand what their perception is of treasury in the respective regions, how 
we I can support. We're applicable. We we will also share our um, thoughts roadmap for the next couple of years. Yeah, you mentioned um, different regions, different cultures. That's definitely something that I should be very well aware of, uh, depending on how the team is composed, but also taking into account uh, different cultural backgrounds in the respective regions. Yeah, I, I'm very aware that I uh, may need to adapt my leadership style here and there, uh, but at the same time being conscious that of whom I, whom I am and uh, continue coming across authentic. So happy to adapt, but yeah, I, I have a certain style um, and, and stay to, need to stay authentic there. Um, yeah. So so. So when doing that, having the conversations with my team members as well as stakeholders, the idea is to, to see whether or not uh, there are potential learnings that we can share across the, the various teams, but also if there are any synergies that we may be able to look into. So yeah, time will come, but very excited about it. Well, fantastic. And I'm, I'm not going to take any more time with yours, Paul. You were very giving of your time before. Uh, great previous episode. I hope you guys got some great value from that. And yeah, it's great to have a nice update. And, and you know, again, as we come out the other side. So thanks very much for your time, sir. And no, it's, it, it's more. I look forward to seeing you soon. Yep. Thanks, Mike. Thanks, sir.